Welcome to VR in Education. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting episode of VR in Education. In today's episode, we focus or hone in on health education. So whether you're a doctor or a nurse or simply just an employee working around people or children, we're all accountable for health and well-being of the people around us. So most organizations, including schools, they train their individuals to have a certain level of first aid as well as to be health aware. So we're fortunate today to have Bradley Chesham on our show to talk more about how VR might enhance our understanding of first aid and then to discuss some of the wonderful work he's been doing with his company, Bundle of Rays. Welcome to the show, Brad. Hey, thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. You know, I always start with this origin story question and I get such a variety when it comes to the answer. So tell us, what got you interested in virtual reality in the first place? Good question. You know, uh, I think for me, it's design and and probably awe. Um, so about six or seven years ago, I lived in London for, for 10 years and my, my best friend, he works for Amazon uh, in the gaming department. So he he's a big gamer, but he's also into art and his partner is a curator of an art gallery uh, in East London. And you know, I read graphic uh, novels, comics. Uh, I really just love art generally. Uh, and I'd go down to the gallery. I'd play games with him. And it's just the transference of, like, what reality is and and, and putting your consciousness into a different environment um, was what really took my breath away with VR uh, from the beginning because that ability to be on a different planet, you know, going on an adventure, trying to find something, uh, is it's just an utter escape. So it drew me in straight away from that that position. Interesting story because, uh, you know, for me, the realism is what drew me in. Uh, at first I was so skeptical saying, you know, this is probably not much better than, you know, what I can see on YouTube. But once I donned a headset, I was convinced and, and just drawn in again to, the, as you said, I love the word, Ah, to the awe of it all. So, yeah, Brad, you, you know, I think, I think it's also having the ability to keep kicking me. You know, like I played Half Life, uh, Alex, for the first time a little while ago, and you know, twenty minutes in, and every item is interactable, and you can transfer through different environments, and have the cityscape just continually provide, uh, you know, amazement. You know, it, that, you know, I just what we're going to have in the future is just really probably confusing <laughs> about is it good or what level of immersion are we going to get to, you know, that, uh, that concept of are we living in a simulation, you know, I can see that play out, you know, once you sort of get deep into these games or deep into the environments, if well, it's not if, it's when the technology just gets to a point where we feel we've got something light on our face and we can interact with our hands and feet and, and the environment and people around us, it's, um, it's going to be pretty gripping. You know, speaking of simulations, you recently on LinkedIn had announced that you're going to be working with 
First Aid VR. Tell us more about that partnership. Yeah, no worries. So First Aid VR is a really is a new company, um, essentially developing VR scenarios around basic life support, so for adults and children, and also other scenarios, things like anaphylaxis. Uh, we've got some envenomation, so you know things like snake bites. Uh, here in Australia is a big thing. Um, and the concept really is to provide an immersive solution around very common health-based training tasks and requirements. So it's the ability to deliver an off-the-shelf um, solution for these type of um, training touch points. You know, when I think of first aid and being a teacher, I've gone every year, I get recertified for first aid, whether it's like you said, for anaphylaxis or, you know, first aid is such a, a practical based subject. So being able to wrap a bandage or how to put a sling on someone or what happens if, you know, someone has lost their airway and we have to try and figure out how to clear the airway. These are all super important essential skills. So add VR to the mix. What makes VR maybe work best to learn some of these things? Yeah, there's probably, you know, there's questions there, but there's probably really a bit of a meta question. What's the overall question about, you know, how does VR apply to a practical skill, whether it's first aid or how to fly a plane? It's probably not going to be too different in terms of the uptake and, you know, my general understanding at the moment is that it probably comes down to a little bit of psychology in that, you know, the affordance, you know, the understanding of your environment, the context to why you're there at that moment in time is is really important. And that sits with the teacher as well, because what do we currently do? You know, how do you currently do that? Is it on a mannequin? Because, you know, you look at the psychology of that as you come to that teaching situation and you're bringing some attitude towards a lump of plastic and you're saying, well, I'm just going to wrap this bandage on the mannequin. Or you might do it on other teachers, which probably makes more sense because they're a live human and there's more variables. But what virtual reality brings, it's it's the realism to a scenario. So it might just be an avatar, but you could be on a football pitch and it could be a child who's screaming. So you're still doing the muscle memory practice of, of wrapping that bandage on, which you would just do in a normal classroom with no environmental context. But what you bring to that is this sort of realistic contextual learning around the task that you're undertaking, which I think is interesting about VR because if I was teaching you about, uh, yeah, so let's just say a bandage or a fracture or immobilizing a limb, if I put you in the context to where you're going to learn that skill, that just makes so much more sense rather than being in a, a four-walled, uninspiring environment where you're never going to use that skill. So that alone I perceive to be of some benefit, and there's not a lot of research to, to validate that line of thinking, but, you know, the, the, the approach to that tactic makes sense. Yeah, I have a, a story or a quick vignette that can support that. And, you know, your notion of context is so true. So we had taken some kids on a overseas international trip to Bali, and we were at a, a school in Bali called the Green School. And there were several other international schools there. 
one from Australia, and they were playing on the football pitch there, and a boy basically dislocated his knee, and it snapped out. And so all the teachers there, there were probably at that time about eight teachers sort of standing around watching. And the Australian teacher who had walked over, he basically froze. And and no offense to him because he had trained in a classroom for it. But as soon as the pressure of trying to respond when the kid was screaming bloody murder because his knee was dislocated, the teacher had froze. And, you know, thankfully, this wasn't my first rodeo, if you will. And I had sort of been in a situation like that before. So I stepped in and offered to help. But, you know, you, you go back to your idea that it's one thing to learn these first aid skills out of context in a room where it's very sterile. It's a whole new thing when emotions are running high and, you know, pressure is sort of on the line and all that. And that can cause people to freeze up when they try and do first aid. Yeah, absolutely. And if, if, in my sort of training, you know, if we take that to the, the highest level, so if you if you had a, a, a three-month-old baby that was blue and was going into cardiac arrest, you know, currently in a hospital when you train for that, it's a lump of plastic in a bed. You know, it's, it's really not creating that visceral moment where your heart rate gets elevated. You know, there's no screaming mother at the bedside, those little features. But with, with clever content, VR can provide that. You know, it can it can give more than what the status quo is, and the really crazy thing is, it it, it can do that in a more cost effective manner, because some of the mannequins, you know, they can be upward of one hundred and fifty thousand dollars. I've I've had the opportunity to try several VR simulations for CPR, and in the majority of these. It's difficult when you've got the sixed off controllers in your hands to simulate the chest compressions to a high degree of realism that you would want it to be in the real world. So you're trying to push up and down on the virtual avatar inside VR, but you've got these plastic controllers in your hand. Is this, in your opinion, is this an issue, you know, as some people who aren't new to VR know, uh, you know, your VR controllers can get in the way of what the real uh, mechanics of doing something like chest compressions or maybe, you know, putting properly a bandage. Is this an issue to you? Craig, you couldn't have asked a better question because essentially what you've done is is outline our point of difference in the market. <laughs> so <laughs> with with first aid VR, you don't use controllers. You're going to use your hands. And, and what happens is that you actually have a physical mannequin. So you could have a an old mannequin, but you put on the VR headset and using Bluetooth, we map the mannequin to the headset in the digital environment. So when you reach out to do compressions, you actually have to do it physically. Awesome. And there's a, are you, is it more hand tracking then that is being scoped by the headset? Yeah, that's right. And then what happens is in real time, we measure how fast you're doing the compressions and how deep you're doing the compressions. So the provider, while they're going through the task, can learn how quick they need to go so they get real-time feedback and they also get feedback about the depth of their compressions in relation to the size of that mannequin. 
You alluded to muscle memory a little bit earlier on, I believe, and I, I want to unpack that a little bit more. I know uh, a lot of enterprise organizations like the use of VR because they can have employees repeat something over and over again until they get it right. We, we might deem this kind of the muscle memory of procedural knowledge. But the argument to this, which is why VR might help, is if you do something like 20 times over, it, you, you start to, you know, boredom starts to set in. To, to what extent do you think this is an issue and can VR help with maybe this whole re repetition is so important and can VR do anything to, to reduce the amount of boredom on repetition of, say, wrapping a bandage or doing CPR, et cetera? Yeah, I think this just comes down to, you know, the the analogy that VR is an engagement tool. So it's just another a tool in the shed, isn't it? So it's not a magic bullet. So I definitely look at VR to be not an end solution for everything. So, you know, I work in healthcare a lot. I'm from a nursing background myself. So, you know, I look at these mannequins that are a hundred or a hundred thousand dollars or even staffing, you know, in Australia, nurses get paid around 80 to a hundred thousand dollars a year. So there's a lot of investment in training and there's not a lot of metrics around how training gets measured. So to sort of reverse cycle this question is that you might do those 20 sessions, but the real benefit to VR is that they will tell you how crap you were or how good you were because there's more learning metrics that are mapped into that VR application than there probably is into the current status quo. So, yes, you're doing the muscle memory, but also we're capturing data about your performance during those episodes in time. So if you're underperforming, it's likely that that app will either tell you in real time or there'll be a report at the end of the training session to say, hey, Brad, you know, you were pretty shit at that. You should probably um, improve that next time and, and do another 20 sessions. Brad, have you toyed with using eye tracking as another metric in this yet? Have you played with yeah, eye tracking yeah, at all? So uh, I'm actually just starting a PhD with the uh, Monash University um, and I'm going to be looking at publishing six papers over five years. And one of those papers is around retinal eye tracking in clinical simulation. So I've already reached out to a few providers. So we're going to be looking at deploying some eye tracking around how nurses assess patients and, and looking at um, probably SimX, which is one of the clinical um, simulation providers that I work with and, and how nurses uh, in, engage with that and we'll, we'll pump out some data quantitatively around eye tracking. You know, the other thing that, you know, we haven't unpacked yet, which it just dawned on me as I'm talking to you, and that is, you know, just like a doctor, a nurse who's of amazing quality has strong soft skills. You know, how good is your bedside manner per se? And I know VR can do a lot in the healthcare industry to improve one's soft skill training too. Oh, absolutely. So I work a lot with um, Christoph, uh, the CEO at BodySwaps. I don't know if you've had um, seen them much, but I, I deploy a lot of their software here in Australia and, you know, everything from just learning how to listen, you know, active listening, um, all the way to having a suicidal patient, you know, talking to them and, and understanding, you know, how powerful communication is as a tool. And same principle is understanding as a metric is how 
how effective is your communication? Like imagine if we're training doctors who are telling patients that, you know, you've got cancer and you, you're probably going to die in the next 18 months to two years. You know, how how well or how good are doctors at doing that? You know, that's that, that ability to provide that training in VR is, you know, from an asynchronous position with possible machine learning within the avatar is, is totally doable. Yeah, I've had uh, Christoph from Body Swaps on the show. I uh, can't remember what episode it was, and it was just interesting to talk to him about oh, you know, yeah. conscious, unbiased conversations with people and trying to sort of steer clear of you know um, promoting uh, or preventing, I guess, racial bias and all sorts of things that VR can be really good at. So, yeah, I'm actually, I think your- I'm talking on an event must be tomorrow um, with him uh, for the uni, uni, uh, universal, I forget the name, God, uh, on Engage with Educators in VR, Univirtual event. Uh, he's actually got a panel discussion uh, tomorrow about real-world VR, deploying VR into the real world for enterprise, and I'm on, I'm on the panel with him. Mm, fantastic. Do you remember what time that starts, uh, Sydney or Australian time, sorry? Oh, good question. I feel like it's in the morning, about 7 or 8 a.m. Okay, I'll have to. probably should know that. (laughs) (laughs) Let's shift uh, gears just a bit to another hat that you wear in the VR world, and that's your work with Bundle of Rays and what its mandate is for interactive education. First of all, I love the name Bundle of Rays. How How did you come up with that name? Yeah, that's just a little play on words. So, in healthcare, we have, uh, you know, I was, um, what's the best way to explain this? I, I spent most of my career looking after patients who've undertaken heart-lung transplants. Um, and I worked in intensive care. And a lot of what we do is cardiorespiratory, right? And um, in hospitals, we have the ECG monitor, the heart monitor. And um, within there, there's a, the bundle branch, which is a part of the electricity and we also take a lot of chest X-rays. So it was just bundle from the bundle of branch and rays from chest X-rays and bundle of rays came about. So I used to have a, a blog myself and I used to teach nurses how to how to read X-rays and how to read ECGs and understand this these bundle branches. So it's just a bit of a play on words on some of the diagnostics that we do uh, in hospital. So that's bundle of rays. Um but yeah, essentially, it was it's really innocent, I suppose, the business. It was me about three years ago bringing a, a, a virtual reality headset into the classroom. Um, very little sort of experience with VR. And, you know, I've teached academically, I teach clinically, uh, teach with the Australian Resuscitation Council. So education is not new to me. But um, I just took a headset into the classroom and was teaching nurses the same kind of content but supplementing some areas of content with the VR. So things like the heart or the brain. So anything that was spatial, I would use anatomy um, within VR to emphasise the learning. So I just sort of had a curriculum and then sat down and really thought long and hard about, all right, well, what moments in time of this curriculum will the VR be of benefit? and then deploy it for that teaching and see how it goes. And people loved it. I won a couple of awards from the US. Um, 
I was doing courses all over Australia and it was definitely a thing. People were looking at the headsets and going, this is, this is really cool. So I bought more headsets and then I started having stations. So I'd had five standalone headsets and we'd rotate around. We were doing simulation. So I'd started experimenting with the sort of the pedagogy within the classroom at that point. It was like, okay, I'm comfortable doing this with one headset. Now let's bring five in. And then I was juggling the the delivery and, you know, had a lot of lessons learned, but never, never really had any huge negativity around my sort of end game. So kept sailing down the river really. And then, and then I got to a position as a business to sort of say, well, I can't keep doing this because I, I can't scale myself. There's not a real business here because Brad can't keep traveling around the world doing face-to-face courses because it's just not, doesn't earn enough money and I'm never at home. So that was a real crux to face-to-face teaching. I think it's still a viable option and a good solution for people. But then the business grew to the point where, well, maybe I can enable other people to do that. So then I started selling headsets. I sell now we currently sell over sort of 15 different software solutions. So Bundle of Rays is a is an active reseller and a distribution provider. Uh, and that's, that's sort of how I pay the bills at the moment. But the long-term uh, business really is actually two businesses because I also got to a point where I look at the e-learning industry and I just think how boring is that e-learning? You know, I just, I just think how much content is out there that people really really don't engage with. So surely VR has to have a role to play in e-learning because it's a remote solution for collaboration. So then in the background, I've been working with collaboration platforms like Engage and Roomy and Altspace to, to understand how Bundle of Rays can build a, a library of learning, which is what I'm currently doing in Engage. So we're building 100 modules to then deploy them as an e-learning sort of bank, a knowledge bank for nurses to tap into where rather than just clicking and having an e-learning experience, they can have a, a physical presence in the digital content. As an evangelist for VR, what are some common questions that you might get from people either recently or even you know, as you talked about in your traveling days as well? Yeah. It's a good question again. I think, you know, I my traveling days, you know, they're still – I'm currently sitting in a place called Bundaberg, which is sort of at the, the bottom of the Great Barrier Reef of Australia, and I, I just went into a school today. I was at a hospital yesterday. Last week I was in the outback near South Australia. So I'm still actively sort of deploying VR into some of the – not weird, but, you know, not the places that you would expect. These are not big metro centres you know, the, the, the provider out west that I was with last week, it was 28 headsets are going to go out into the outback. So it's it's a really sort of interesting phenomenon about what I'm working towards. So um, what people ask me generally is, you know, what is it? Because I think that ability to educate the educator is, is such a gap in, in VR and the marketing that comes from some of the products is is borderline false about what it can deliver because there's not a lot of real world messaging about here is my product and this is how you incorporate it into your business. That's a massive gap because 
a lot of organizations can see the benefit of what products are trying to provide, but actually purchasing a headset, you know, putting it on, getting staff skilled, you know, I think a lot of the products miss an opportunity there uh, where companies like mine that are sort of an end-to-end provider, um, that's a gap that we can fill. So that's why I've sort of stratified my business as two businesses because I work as a consultant to help people implement, but also the other part of the business is actual, you know, the education that we deliver. So what do people ask me? You know, what what do you, what the hell are you talking about <laughs> is probably the most <laughs> common. Um, and the second question is probably, you know, how's it all going? Because people see me, you know, I'm sort of this story where I was a nurse. I only finished nursing about probably eight weeks ago. So I've been doing my full-time nursing and full-time startup and I've got two babies at home. So, you know, I've, I've burnt out about 10 times now already and I can see it coming and, you know, and working on and working on a PhD, so holy and cow. working on a PhD uh, with a company you know who goes into over a hundred schools across Australia. So that that balance of you know how's it going is like uh, probably more of a human thing around you know how how are you, Brad? Are you, are you okay? So that's uh, <laughs> generally where I'm at. You know, wisdom is a funny thing. So you've been working you know with VR for a while now, and. With that comes obviously a deeper understanding. We iterate, we learn from maybe that didn't work or this worked. So I, I want you to complete this sentence for me. One thing I used to believe about VR is dot, 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 but now I think dot, dot, dot. I think I used to think VR was possible, you know, because I wasn't really living it. You know, I, I used to think VR was an absolute possibility. There's potential here. But, you know, I, I, today is a, is a Wednesday, you know, and the last two weeks I've just travelled over 1,500 kilometres around Outback Australia and I've been dealing with nurses who have been in their job for 30 years and some of these hospitals only have two nurses. And when I was there, you know, it worked. They loved it. They doubled their order by the time I came back. So, you know, real-world VR, so, you know, I used to think VR was possible, but now I think it's it, it's real. It really is real for me, and it's it's so exciting because it's such it's not marketing fluff, you know. I and it, it sounds a bit cheesy saying all this, but it's not. My company really is providing a big benefit, uh, and the potential of VR. You know, twenty twenty one. If we talk about the meta discussion of this as well, is like. Yeah, like I, I'm doing this one project, but really what we're seeing is that 2021 really is being a year where people are engaging with immersive tech on a on a broader scale and sort of tipping their hat in and saying, what is this? I'll, I'll do a pilot. I need to learn more because spatial computing is coming, right? And I, I just feel as, as a general um, wave that the wave is coming in and we're just seeing the start of, of – of, of the industry uptake of it. Hmm. Brad, you'd be proud of me. I recently read a a medical book about VR. So the book is called VRX. It's by Brennan Spiegel. And and in his book, which was highly interesting, he he has a quote that I want to share with you and get you to, to add sort of some wisdom to. So he says, a VR headset is like a syringe Both are merely devices that deliver a therapy. The device itself is unimportant. 
It's what passes through that matters. Tell me a bit about what that means to you. Yeah, I have heard this before. And I think there's, 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 there's many parts to pick around this because it's not, I agree, absolutely. The, the software is the solution. But then, you know, content can be a commodity because look at e-learning. You know, content can be undervalued very quickly. We're only saying that at the moment because we're on the, we're on the, the frontier of, 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 of only having, you know, like with simulation, there's probably like five leading providers. But, you know, in, in 10 years, there'll probably be 50, right? So that's true now. And also look at the Egyptians, you know, they, they had a vessel. That's what we're talking about here is that the, the headset is a vessel. But I'm, I'm sort of talking fantastically here. But my point is that that vessel had meaning to them. They painted it. They, they cherished the vessel. And all I'm saying here is that the vessel has to be important to the – it has to provide value. It has to be comfortable. It has to be easy to manage. You know, Google Cardboard failed for a pretty good reason is those cardboard headsets weren't that comfortable. So for me to unpack that would be that I agree the software no doubt is the solution to organizations' problems, but that's now. Uh, I always think that the software is going to advance and, and obviously it's going to get better and better, but there's also going to be more software providers that come into the market and dilute the quality. And then there's going to be this challenge for the end users to decide on what's good and what's not. And, you know, that's the reason why I want to do a PhD because the, the end user experience it needs to be mapped and understood and the industry needs to take some ownership about what the hell is going to go on in the future because there's going to be cowboy players who come into the environment with really clunky solutions and that's going to have to get worked through. And then the back end of that is to say that, you know, the vessel doesn't matter. And I, I do agree, but to a point, you know, if you've got, like my client, if you've got 30 headsets, you're going, you're, that's going to matter to you. How do you charge them? How long does it take to charge? How long does the battery deploy? You know, nurses are females. You know, they wear their hair up. How easy is it to, to put the headset on? They also wear makeup. How easy is it to wipe the headset? So, you know, uh, I agree. But, the, the, again, it's sort of that real-world application in a, in a real environment um, probably just needs – there's more to tell with that story than, mm. yes, it is a vessel, but the vessel, you know, what – what shape is the vessel? How does it how does it fit into the hands of the of the holder? The, well, and, there's more there's more questions than answers there. You know, and I, thank you for you know not just taking the easy route and agreeing. I appreciate you know your your discourse there and and challenging it. I think the other thing that I have noticed over the last three or so years working with students in the classroom is, you know, when we first started, you know, the stuff that went into the the syringe, if you will, the stuff that went into the headset was pretty simplistic things. Like you mentioned that you first started out with stations for nurses and you just get them to look at maybe the 3D version of a heart. But we've kind of come a long way since then. And I think when we look at, you know, usability in VR, the, the true superpowers or magic is the level of interactivity. And so when you take a piece of software, whether it's a simulation or something else, even a game, you want to ensure that they get the full experience, which means not just, you know, pick something up and look at it, but actually get them to conceptually 
dive in through creativity, through problem solving, you know, to experience and then come out of that experience, you know, ruminating on what just happened as opposed to, well, you know, here's the stomach, maybe just rotate it, look at it and then pop out of the headset. Oh yeah, for sure. And, you know, even some of these platforms like Rumi and Engage and Old Space, you know, and having the ability for the user or the learner to co-create content, you know, that ability to, to tickle imagination and provide a, uh, it's kind of like that constructivism learning theory about, wow, I went in and, and learned something today, but actually had an experience where the learner can generate that experience is, is, is the, is the, epitome to me that we should be working towards well said brad is there anything left unsaid that maybe you feel the audience might want to hear related to your work and understanding of vr before we wrap up no i don't think so i think a lot of what we're just what we're doing is implementing vr and you know we're not essentially just talking about it we're trying to do it in the real world and we're trying to do it properly so we're embedding research and and uh, you know I'm working with some leading providers and just trying to really make sure that we do the industry a favor rather than provide any discourse i think that's a real challenge is to is to sell someone you know 30 headsets and then not in 18 months be really pissed off with us because those headsets are redundant you know there's there's sort of like a, a a position of responsibility here that if you if you are responsible and you take that chalice that you can actually bring meaning uh, to the industry uh, i think that's that's a really important message is not just to do business at the moment but to do to do business well because that really what you that to me is to sort of say at the moment we really need some leadership because the industry is so fragmented that to deliver something of quality and of value that that leadership has to be in place and I understand entirely that I am not alone I can't do that on my own so hence we're sort of an aggregation business where we work with so many other companies to to help fill the gaps collectively I'm looking forward to your talk tomorrow hopefully I can get up early enough to uh, check that out and uh, that's in the engage platform you said right yeah, 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 for sure. Yeah, and I, I'm pretty sure they're going to spatially record it. So even if you do miss it, you can walk around inside it at a later date. And um, we did that previously. I, I had a talk with some guys from NASA and Nokia, and and we did the spatial recording. And it's so amazing going back into it uh, at a later date. So don't feel too hesitant if you don't make it. All um, I can flick anyone who listens to the podcast. I can flick the link and maybe even give them a tour of the recording at a later date. Fantastic. How can people get a hold of you uh, after this uh, session or recording? Where's the best way to sort yeah, of see some of Yeah, we've got all the stuff? normal social media presence. So uh, Bundle of Rays has a Facebook and Insta page. But uh, to be honest, I, I, I kind of hate social media. But I am quite active on LinkedIn. And otherwise, just Brad at Bundle of Rays um, email address. Uh, and usually always happy to have a chat. So if anyone has any questions about our work or wants to do any collaborations or or, you know, maybe just wants to have a game of putt-putt um, in the headset. <laughs> I'm more than happy to hang out. Walkabout mini golf. I love that game. Yeah. Anyway, thanks so much for taking uh, your time out of traveling the outbook, outback and whatnot. And uh, we look forward to seeing some amazing stuff that you're doing, especially I'm excited about your PhD, so I can't wait to learn more about that too. 
Yeah, it should be cool. We're going to kick it off with a, a full systematic review of, of nursing and, and VR just to understand exactly where we're at. There's a few already out there, but I, I feel like with my partners, we can have a pretty pretty good summative paper. And then we're going to um, start off with uh, attitudes and beliefs, then work into organizational uptake of innovation and then into eye tracking. So yeah, it should be some cool papers. Brad, thanks for moving the needle on VR. And like you said, I think we're more or less here and now, as opposed to, as you alluded to in the fill in the blank sentence, uh, VR used to be this thing that we're looking forward to in the future. So th- thanks for your work in that, my friend. Yeah, no worries, man. Yeah, pleasure to chat. Um, anytime to collaborate or in the future, we're always ho- open to, to have conversations. So I hope uh, I was a- able to bring a little bit of value. Perfect. All right. Bye for now. Cool. Thanks, man.